In situations like that in improv, I, I draw blank. If I'm sitting in the audience, I can think of a thousand things for that person on stage to do. If I'm on the stage, gone. Oh, then you're perfect. No. You're perfect. Thinking well, is your enemy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not dead serious. It's not, I'm not thinking to the point that my mouth can't move. If you're already not thinking, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> the first thing you have to learn is to not think. That's, it's I, literally I, the first, it's the name of the UCB book is Don't Think. <laughs> you're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. Things, the stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. Today's movie is Waiting for Guffman. It's one of your favorite movies. Sure is. Yeah. What are you drinking over there, Meredith? I am drinking sparkling pomegranate punch beverage from, from Trader, Trader Joe's. Joe's. What a coincidence. I'm drinking sparkling cranberry ginger beverage from Trader Joe's. How do you feel about your beverage? Uh, it's a little bit like drinking a melted pine tree. I'm sorry. This is delightful. I kind of like it, though. Yeah. I, I I feel really good about this. Yeah. Not sponsored, by the way, Trader Joe's. No. I know a lot of podcasts put a sponsor here. Not us. We're just giving it away for free. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Trader Joe's for all of your melted pine tree beverage needs. <laughs> I always feel like since it says pomegranate, I should, it's it's healthy or giving me some sort of vitamins I'm not normally getting. Oh my getting. God, no, that's a lie. I know. I know that it's a lie. <laughs> it's just what my brain likes to say. Like, oh. Yeah, that's false. <laughs> the things we tell ourselves. That's a, that one's a lie. Uh, so today we're going to talk about waiting for Guffman. Meredith, give me the synopsis on this one because I don't know it as well as you do. I've seen yeah. it. Well, so it's a mockumentary style film. Yeah, it's like the first of the Christopher Guest films. No, no, no. Well, it's the first of his, right? This is after this is Spinal Tap. Which he was a writer on. Which he was a writer on. And it's sort of in the same vein as Spinal Tap. Very. But you're right. This is this is a different crew and yeah. uh, and it is his film. So yes, the movie takes place in Blaine, Missouri, a small town uh, where they are celebrating their 150th. I think it's like sesicentennial or sequicentennial. They have some ridiculous name for it that I could never remember. That's awesome. And everyone in this town is taking their celebration very seriously. Yes. And you get a little bit of town history, some fun nuggets. One of my favorite is the woman who is uh, a descendant of the founder, Blaine Fabin, and she she considers herself like one of the Kennedys. She thinks yeah. she, <laughs> she knows how, how, they, how they feel. I know what it's like to be a Kennedy. Uh, and then you are introduced to Corky St. Clair, the main character of the film, who is a uh, New York City transplant, spent some time there trying to get Broadway shows off the ground. Or I think to just work in Broadway. Or just work. Yeah. He's just trying to make his way in New York City. I guess that's true. And so he's going to put on a show? He's going to put on a show for for the The sequicentennial. Yes. So he's going around town pulling together his cast of characters. He's done a couple a couple shows in town, so he's well-known, and the people seem to really appreciate his talents. Some people do. Yeah. That's no that's no, true. The town, the town does. does. The oh, town yeah. really appreciates his talents. They that's right. They like this guy. And uh it's Well, there's just, one person who does not. The yes, right. The the old music director who used to run the shows in town has yes. a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Yes. Yes. So we follow them through the rehearsal process and then we get 
the payoff of seeing Red, White, and Blaine performed for the last about 20 minutes of the film. I, I read, too, that in the original <laughs> cut, it was 45 minutes long, the performance, and it was the, like a whole show. Which is wild. It's an 84-minute film. Yeah. It's very short and very tight. <laughs> it's like Pretty tight. It's already a lot of the movie. So I guess it's the only, only scripted part of the film was Red, White, and Blaine. So this movie's got in it Christopher Guest from This Is Spinal Tap. He's the director and also stars in it. Uh, Eugene Levy, <laughs> you wrote famously Canadian. Uh, okay. Until Shit's Creek, you feel like he was a that famous guy, except for the fact that I have never really seen Shit's Creek and I've been a Eugene Levy fan my entire so life. So what do you know him from then? He is like just, he usually does just play like small supporting ca right. characters and he stuff. sort of pops up. Yeah, but like then you look at the credits, you're like, oh, he wrote this, you know? True. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's like um the Ghostbusters guy. Well, they worked. Yeah, they both came from Second City together. They did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's Second City. Uh, Catherine O'Hara. Um, Brilliant. Eugene Levy. Um, I'm trying to think now. John Candy was Second City. Okay. Um, I think John Belushi was Second City as well at one point. Uh, no, John Belushi was Lam Na National Lampoon. Um, and uh, 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 Rick Moranis was Second City. Uh, a bunch of other people were uh, over there too. It was like a, it was you know Chicago, comedies. Series. Right, and also like later on, you've got um, Tina Fey and um, oh my gosh, Amy Poehler from Second City, or are they kind slightly of. different? Yeah, so now we're getting into improv. Yeah, right? so, so we're gonna get into this more later because we'll, this is your world. Oh, okay, cool. We can talk about it later. That's fine. We'll talk about that later. Or we can. Why do we need to talk about it? Later? We can talk about it now. Let me just finish the cast, then we'll talk <laughs> sure, about it now. Okay. Good. Catherine O'Hara's in it. Uh, apparently, one of your favorites. I love. Uh, her. Yeah, I love Catherine O'Hara. She's awesome. I didn't know she was the voice of Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that real? She is. She is the voice of Sally. I also didn't know that she was Gilda Radner's understudy for Saturday Night Live. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Which, like, sort of brings things to this, like, level of, like, oh, okay, so you, like, learned from the comedy god. Um, And then Fred Willard, who did recently die. Uh, Parker Posey, who feels to me out of place in this movie, but we can talk about that later. And yeah, David Cross shows up, which was a huge surprise to me. Tons of other people make yeah, appearances that's true. too. There's a lot of people, but David Cross is a, is a good one. Yeah, I, mean, I love David Cross, but I mean, this is way before Mr. Show. So. Right. But only, I guess only a few years before Mr. Show. So 96, right? Mr. Show was like 98, 97. Was it late 90s? I thought maybe yeah. early aughts. I never really watched no. it. Mr. Show was like 98. Yeah, I loved Mr. Show. Um, okay. That's the setup. What we were just talking about was improv stuff. Right. So you were talking about Tina Fey and who else were you saying? Uh, Amy, Amy Poehler. So Second City. The Second City Theater is a improv or really sketch comedy theater that's over in Chicago. Um, and from that, you get like what's called Chicago style improv. I know they do improv there, but Second City is actually famous for sketch comedy, which is written. And it's right. funny, too. Actually, I knew somebody or met somebody who was on the Second City traveling troupe that mm. goes in like you know like the what's that called the traveling players what like a, a show that goes on the road there's a name for that in theater there is a name for it touring they're touring Touring company yeah he was on the touring company and i was like that's fucking amazing because i was like doing ucb at the time and i was like oh my god that must be like huge right i couldn't even get on house teams at ucb and they were like eh, well <laughs> Yeah, kind of amazing, but like we don't get to like write or do anything interesting or improv. Like we have very specific scripts 
of sketches that were written and developed and finished in like the late seventies and early eighties. And we must perform them to the T every time. I didn't know that about Second City. So I had a lot of friends who went to DePaul in Chicago. And so I've been to see Second City. And right. there's always someone that had a friend that was in the cast or an understudy or something like that. But I had never heard that it was that scripted before. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I think I think that really, though, it's the touring company that was that scripted as well. I see. Because it was okay. like, you are not Rick Moranis. You are not, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other people who went through there. Uh, Oh, God, my neighbor was a Second City alum, too. It's like we're sending you out on the road to tell people about this wonderful thing using our famous material. It's not so much that. It's that, like, I think what it was was that, like, the people are coming to the SCTV, the Second City show. They want to see it the way Eugene Levy did it. They want to see, see. it. <laughs> you, what are you? You're some nobody from nowhere. You're going to do it the right way. You know, I don't know why I made that character very vaudevillian there. <laughs> right. Let's just keep repeating the things that we like instead of creating new things that we I, like. I, I think that there was an argument, though, that that's probably true. People probably were. You know, it's an unusual audience. It's a specific audience at a specific place that wants to go see long form improv. Like when you go do long form improv on the stage at UCB, the people who are in the audience are people who do long form improv. <laughs> I, guess, I guess as a kid, like going to see an improv show was like a not a kid kid, but like that was like a thing. You'd go down downtown to go see go see the talented improv people. Yeah. Did they do short form though, probably? But like that's what that's if you were gonna go do that, Second City would be the place Second City would be the place that I would expect to be, keep fresh stuff going right because yeah. they have a name for themselves well and that might be i don't know i've never been i'm just yeah. talking about that but like i also so anyway long story short tina fey i think she was a groundling if i'm not mistaken no she was second city she was second That's... city there was a whole cast in the 90s of snl that were all from groundlings which is in la um phil hartman uh jan hooks um god so many i now I'm drawing a blank, but they were all L.A. groundlings. And then a lot of people from SNL have come from SC, uh, Second City. SCTV was the Second City TV show that was kind of a competitor to or whatever to Saturday Night Live. Um, Tina Fey was probably from Second City, if I'm not mistaken. Amy Poehler did spend time at Second City. Uh, I think isn't Improv Olympic out there? I think so. I think that. I got to look this up. Here's like a family tree of these comedy there are. groups. Yeah. Well, because, and so these, I'm getting not that just comedy, improv groups. Del Close. I got to look. Stand up is a whole different world of people. Absolutely. Yeah. This is also awful because I, I, this is, yeah, he's the co founder of IO. Right. But Amy Poehler, um, famously, she was at IO or Improv Olympic, which was the, which was founded by Del Close. And Del Close is like this long form improv mega guru who invented the form that they taught at UCB called the Herald. It was the name of the show format that they would do. Um, and it's a brilliant show format because it's a format that you can put on a 45 minute live improv show. That's from. what I always remember. That's what I thought improv was until I saw like shorter sketches that moved in and out. Like someone would come on stage and there'd be a short skit and it would end and other people would go. Well, that's, you, I mean, that's kind of how a Herald works, but like, um, but they're all connected and tied together and tell a big story when it's all done. Like there's just scenes. Sure. Uh, I don't know about 45 minutes of one scene on stage. Well, yeah, we do a mono show. We would call that. But like when what I thought improv was what I had seen as improv when I was in high school was like 
whose line is it anyway? Where it's I like see. somebody says like, okay, in this game, or like I had seen like local improv that was like that or whatever, where somebody explains what we're going to do, the actors, and then something funny happens. I see. Of. Okay. Um, but that's not at all how. Like, so what of these troops oh, so is still. Oh, God. Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. I'm almost done. She's, I'm almost done. I got to talk about this. She and uh, her three friends, Matt Besser, Matt. Matt. The two Matts. The three people. The other three. I'm very bad at this. Uh, but they, she left with three friends, went to New York, and they founded Upright Citizens Brigade, which is sort of like a continuation of what they learned from Del Close at I.O. Um, and Del Close was himself a transplant to Chicago from L.A. So, And what still survives of all these? Because I know Upright is gone. Upright is gone. I think they have one theater in L.A., but they don't have a school on either coast. And recently they launched a TikTok, which I think is actually official, but, you know, it's not verified. So I can't tell. It's got like 600 followers <laughs> at this point. Um, and uh, I, I think that there's probably some plans for them to come back. But they did like the New York theater closed. The New York operation, I should say, closed before the pandemic even hit. Like, Right. They were just struggling for a while. I mean, real estate's expensive, you know, and the sure. tickets are cheap. The show tickets were cheap, cheap. So. I actually recently saw a show in that theater, the one below the Gracides. Yeah. Uh, I saw Titanic. Okay. So have you heard of this at all? No. Marlon Mandel is uh, sort of like a musical comedian, I would okay. say. And so she developed this show called Titanic, which is basically Titanic told from the perspective of Celine Dion, who now believes that she was there. Like she inserts herself into the story. So she's like, the joke is that that's very strange. <laughs> Celine Dion now believes like, oh, no, I was actually there. I didn't just sing this song. I was and on the so, Titanic. Right? So she's like retelling the movie version of Titanic. And it's just a lot of like fun and 90s jokes. It's, that's it's wild. really funny. That does really, sound... really funny show. Yeah. I saw footage the other day online and I was like, ah, ah, that's the UCB theater. Somebody's yeah. still using that. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, I can make no great claim to being a UCB alum at all. I just went to school. I took the classes. You did the thing. I did the, well, I wasn't on a house team. I never got okay. like, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Got it. I paid the bills to, so the house teams could operate, but I didn't get to be on a house team. But if you were on a house team, you could be like, you know, I was a cast member. I was an alum of UCB. I wasn't. So. Got it. But okay. I took the classes. So you were, took, you were there. You were... I took 401 twice, which is, <laughs> that's how you know you didn't get to house teams. Hey, you, yeah, Greg, we don't think you're ready to audition for house teams yet. So uh, take 401 again. Take the fourth level class again until you're better. <laughs> just keep doing that. <laughs> get better. I don't know if I, I just like in situations like that in improv, I, I draw blank. If I'm sitting in the audience, I can think of a thousand things for that person on stage to do. If I'm on the stage, gone. Oh, then you're perfect. No, you're perfect. Thinking well, is your enemy. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm not dead serious. It's not. I. I'm not thinking to the point that my mouth can't move. Yeah, but that's what the training is for. If you're already not thinking, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> the first thing you have to learn is to not think. That's. It's I, literally I, the first. It's the name of the UCB book is "Don't Think." <laughs> that's what Fred Willard tells Catherine O'Hara in this movie. Does he? He tells her. She says, well, he's he's teaching me to um, ignore my instincts. Like, yeah, but she says it in a better way. She, says, she sounds so battered. She's yeah, right. He's teaching me to like, you know, rethink my instincts or at least ignore them or something yes, along exactly those lines. What it was. <laughs> it's yeah. So good.
Uh, let's get into the meat of this fucking thing. Well, first, let's I want to I, I do want to guess if you liked it or not, because I, you gave me a little bit of an inkling All over right. the phone that of your feelings. But Give me your guess. I thought that this is going to be pretty up your alley for the reasons that um, it's an improv based yeah thing it's not we're, we're not we don't have some big message we don't have like no. like characters falling in love it is I, just funny it's just a comedy my feelings are a little mixed okay um and i think a big piece of that is that i didn't have this movie in front of me when i was in 1996 absolutely um but my feelings are a little bit mixed i thought that a lot of it was quite funny I got to push back on your whole improv thing. Yeah, I think there was a lot of ad-libbing in it, but there is a script. And they I, my notes in my research, I found out about different versions of the script and how it changed before oh, they it shot. Oh, did? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Eugene Levy and Christopher Guest co-wrote it. I knew it was outlined. Like, I, yeah. I know that's true, but I feel like everything that's being said is like a prompt, right? And then they're riffing. Yeah, probably there was a yeah. lot. I mean, it's. It, I think it is true that there was a lot of ad-libbing. But that's not the same thing as improvisation. That is true. Yeah, that's a different thing. That's listen. We don't ad lib at UCB. We improvise. It's a very different thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of ad libbed lines in it. Um, I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings. There's some stuff about this movie that I I, I feel weird about laughing at. Sure. Uh, and the movie really wants you to laugh at it. And I'm not just talking about Corky here at all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do you, should, should I just go? So, yeah, I mean, go. like, I think the main thing here in this movie, and I'm fascinated by your response to this, and I, I've, I've looked into other people's responses to this, is that we've got Christopher Guest in this movie playing Corky St. Clair. Is it Corky St. Clair? Correct. Um, whom is a really over the top, uh, gay stereotype. Yeah. He's, he's playing a lot of the stereotypes up like the speech, the hard asses, oh, yeah. like, yeah, he's definitely like a very loud stereotype portrayal that I don't think you would even see very often. Like you wouldn't see probably today. not. I think so. I, it's, I did talk to a friend about this. I called up a friend who grew up with the movie. We grew up with it together. Well, the one thing we have to say too oh, is that ahead. Christopher Guest is straight. Christopher straight. Yeah. He's and, a straight actor. Yeah. He's actually married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Ja married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. So, um, I think they have a trans daughter though. I don't know that. I believe that that is I the case. I was searching for that fact in my head, but yeah. I didn't know that. I could be mistaken. I apologize if I am. We will look it up. We will. <laughs> yeah. I called my friend who was a gay man who grew up with this movie as well. Yes. And I asked him if he'd seen it recently. I hadn't seen this movie in probably 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it's not one I revisit any every year. It is one that I watched a thousand times from the age of 16 to 25, probably. Okay. Um, so I asked him if thinking back on Corky St. Clair, if he felt insulted by it ever then, or if he felt like he was being made fun of ever then, or if he felt that way now. Right. And I shared the article with him of the the Esquire article. Oh, it was a few articles. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, his his initial reaction was like, no. We both agree that like you wouldn't find this movie in, it wouldn't be made today. No. How, not, not how it's made. But however, he does revisit Quirky in Mascots, a movie that came out in 2022. But and Quirky comes back. For a scene. Okay. Quirky is a mentor of Parker Posey's character. Oh, wow. It's sort of like a moment between the two of them. So he comes back for... Yeah, is Parker Posey playing the same character? Essentially, yes, but not in name. Okay. so it's He's not playing the same character in name. Also, like, I don't know oh, if... Well, what did your friend say? We never got to it. No, he did. He, he said that he, he hadn't... He did not really feel that way about it like he loved quirky yeah. as a kid because i think that like 
for us, what we related to in this movie was the overall community theater and all of the different characters that you get in it. And this is sort of like what his movies do, like in Best in Show, you get these different types of like crazy dog people and you you get all different flavors of that, right? And so I think Quirky was a caricature as everybody else in this movie was a caricature and like he's endearing. I think the town loves him. And so that makes you really happy. Yeah. I um I am straight. I am a straight man. I felt like Corky is a performance that maybe it's okay for you to laugh at. Sure. Uh, coming from me, I was like, <laughs> I feel yeah. a little weird about laughing at that. I don't think you could make this movie now. I really yeah. don't. I think it, it it has pushed itself into that category. The scene certainly. that I felt very comfortable laughing at was his dancing because that's universal. It's great. That's it's universally so awful. And just and. Gay men and straight men can dance bad all they want. It's always funny. Uh, we all have that in common. Well, and I guess like, I don't know. I was real. I was thinking a little too deeply into this and yeah. was like, and this isn't, there's no evidence of this, but like the idea of being an out, like a, a flamboyant gay person who moves back to a small town where you have fear of being out at that point, it would have been pretty common to create a fake backstory like in the 90s, like everyone had a cover story. So him having like a wife, yeah. if you were out, and the fact that he is like too out there to even like mask down his gayness at all and nobody in town seems to give a shit about it. Well, he does say that he has a wife though. So they all believe him to be straight. Do they? The, fil the film gives you no reason to not take that at face value. Yeah. Well, no, they say that. I mean, like, they, there's characters who will say things like, oh, yeah, he has a wife. I guess she's out of town a lot. Like, they yeah. sort of do play into this <laughs> joke. And then there is, like, the character that is in love with Corky. And someone said that they thought this was revealed at the end, but it's peppered out throughout the entire movie. Oh. The guy, the, like, pharmacist or something who wants to be in the he show. He wouldn't let him audition. And Corky misses him completely. There's also an argument to be made that Corky's not gay and that we make him gay. Well, I suppose he never, he doesn't out himself. Never breaks the character. Even when he comes back in mascots, he like looks up and down this girl and is basically like, you're cute. Like, yeah, society yeah. can't allow straight men to be effeminate. He's not effeminate. Yes, <laughs> he is. He goes way beyond effeminate. It's possible. Sure, sure. <laughs> I th I think you're having your cake and eating it too a little bit there. <laughs> no, 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 Maybe. no, no. It's not we. It's you who are the I'm homo. just saying. <laughs> uh, no, but I think like at the very least, if you were to, I was disappointed to see the character revisited without any acknowledgement or growth. And I think yeah. at this point, at the very least, you'd have to have him played by a different actor. Oh, yeah. And it should be. It would just be rethought and rewritten. I like I am incapable at this point in my life and journey with this movie to like dislike it. <laughs> well, so. so well, I'll just keep that ball rolling. So as much as I was like with the quirky thing, I was like, OK, you would not do this now. But, you know, it was a different time. It was 1996. And, uh, I, I, you know, that kind of humor was everywhere like it was whatever you know like that's just the way it was i was actually more uncomfortable laughing at anything that libby may brown right libby may brown parker posey's character was up to why is that she really depressed me 
Oh God. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, just, I don't know. I don't, I, <laughs> but like the joke to me about her character, like her whole joke is that she's poor and desperate. I don't find that funny. I just think she's poor and aloof. Like, I just don't think there's much there at all. She just made me sad. Yeah, that's fair. Like, she just made me, I was like, I can't laugh at this. Like, this is depressing. <laughs> like, she's got, I can always go back to the Dairy Queen. But, like, she's not. Back to the DQ. Uh, back to the DQ. She's she, inventive. She's thinking of things that she can invent for the DQ. But she's not unaware. Like, she is defeated I in that know. scene. I don't think she's smart enough to be defeated. You want me to put it on? Because, like, I'm telling you, she is despondent when well, she's saying, she's... there's always a place for me at the DQ. And she's grilling a single chicken, chicken wing. Like, That's after the show is over, Yeah, right? after the yeah, show I, ends. I think, yeah, because they didn't end up going off to Broadway. She was excited about meeting all the Italian guys and getting out of there. Yeah. Yeah. She had no other opportunity. And then it, it evaporated. And we see, like, for me, her character arc is utterly tragic. But that's... That's okay. That's not funny. I'm not laughing at that. I don't know if it has to. Does it have to be? Does every beat have to be funny? No, not at all. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, you're fucking up me again. It gives like, you're trying to tell me that Corky's not gay. You're also trying to tell me that <laughs> no, this wasn't I'm not played for laughs in the movie. It was. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you're gaslighting me over here. No, I'm not. But I think it's okay to feel like two ways about it. I do I don't think she's ways. a sad character. I couldn't laugh at her. I thought yeah. she was, she was only depressing to me. It kind of yeah. ruined the movie. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that was like, that was a major problem for me. Like the, 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 that was a huge problem. Every, most of the other stuff I really liked. I liked, uh, see, I find, um, as I find Fred Willard, I, there's a sadness to Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara as oh, well. Yeah. He's, she's like so browbeaten by him. Right. And he, he also knows like they all kind of know like that, he can't translate. He's this big guy in this small theater. The penis reduction. And he can't really translate that to something real. Like, they they moved out to Hollywood, but, like, he's delusional and he kind of knows it. Eugene Levy is the only, like, happy warrior truly through and through in this movie. Oh, he's just thrilled. He's exactly where he wants to be. Community yes. theater is wonderful for him. It's yes. his creative outlet that he needs. He has the most racist jokes. The we had a kishka. No, not that. But like whenever he's he starts improvising, he starts doing. So he sets up earlier that his grandfather was big on the Yiddish uh, stage, the comedy Yid scene, yeah, or something. I'm, no, the oh god, the Yid Yiddish vaudeville stages uh -huh. in like the nineteen and you know oh eight or whatever. Yeah. And so he has all these jokes from his his grandfather. So whenever he starts, like, there's several times in the movie where he like improvises something, and it's. It's fucking racist. <laughs> Would you agree that like the 90s and 2000s, like the brand of comedy that we had then was like insult comedy constant? It was a much more judgmental comedy. Right. Absolutely. Like you're talking about like Sarah Silverman's whole shtick was like how or offensive comedy, how to be the most offensive yeah. at all times. Amy Schumer came up a little after that. Same sort of thing. Make people feel uncomfortable. Use. Oh, oh, you've got it backwards. Offensive comedy makes people very, very comfortable. Uncomfortable things are about you. Offensive comedy is an other that you're punching down on. It makes the audience very happy and comfortable. But you think that's like, would you, I'm, how would you put like Sarah Silverman in that? In I, you that? know, I got to tell you, I was never a fan. Yeah. So I, I don't actually have a whole lot about her. Not self. about being a fan. I don't, I don't care if you're a fan or not. Like, yeah, I just you... don't know much about her work. I see. I, I think that what I've seen of her was kind of self-deprecating, um, I've seen some self-deprecating stuff about her and also 
her making some lewd sexual comments about herself. Okay. And that's what I think of. She does comedy. some punching down as well, though. She does probably. Oh, sure. Yeah. She sure does. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's like, to me, this movie kind of, I, I'm gonna, you're going to be so angry. I kind of feel like this is uh peak, like flyover comedy. Christopher Guest making fun of Missouri and poor people from Missouri. So, and what I take away from that is like, while you're watching Red, White, and Blaine at the end of the movie, these people, everyone in that room is so full of joy and yeah. so happy and yeah. so like represented by the show that yeah. they're putting on. All and the... all of these things that we think of as punching down do not matter to them. And it just you makes me think that maybe don't we don't think take that the joke there is that Christopher Guest thinks that these stupid rubes in Missouri will eat any piece of garbage. No, not eye. at all. That's the vibe I, I got. Think, <laughs> no, I think he's thrilled to have an opportunity to like create like he's he never would have gotten that chance on broadway and these nah, people... not corky christopher guest oh christopher guest um but that's all of his that's all of his comedy that's best in show is it's like mean. it's mean <laughs> it's not nice uh, maybe it's still funny <laughs> i don't know i felt a little awkward as the person who would have been the midwestern community theater doing target of that show you're from chicago that's a cosmopolitan i am, city. I am from the suburbs of chicago okay i'm not from blaine missouri Fine. no you're not <laughs> but like that is what community theater feels like that is what being in those shows feels like like everyone's a little delusional sure. at some point we all think we're making the most wonderful thing that should be on s such a bigger stage than it's on yeah i guess i was metropolitan as a 16 year old doing small theater but no i wasn't like and it just felt like home but like i just love the show this movie so much and i don't want to take and that away from you i'm not trying to. <laughs> yeah like i i had a little different of experience i thought parts of it were very funny I, and it's hard to assess movies like this right because i have no idea how i would feel about it if i saw it for the first time now yeah like not a clue like yeah. and i yeah. can't put myself in that frame of mind but yeah. i think it's one of the most quotable movies. It's funny. I have my friend. I realized he's been quoting it at me for years. What does he say? He does like the Eugene Levy bit, like the um, the bad racist jokes. <laughs> Which oh the like dude, there's like he does like a lot of stuff. It's like about Indians in this movie. When he's just like when what's his name is gonna show him his. <laughs> The results of his penis reduction. Right. And he's just like, red man, no, look, white man, stumpy. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, like what the fuck is that? It's not even funny. <laughs> but it's like, it's not funny is the joke, but. Um, right. Like he's trying to impersonate something he can't. And he just comes across. They're just all weird. Like it's all weird. Yeah. Especially at that dinner scene. It's also like, he's just picking the most. <laughs> His influences. It's just like somebody defined for him as like once like this is what jokes are. This is what comedy is. And he like got this list from his grandfather, but they're like jokes from 1908. Just have you ever seen like jokes. Best in Show or any of the other? Films? I have. I've seen Best in Show. Yeah. Um, I like Best in Show. I don't really have any specific memories of it. What I did want to ask was, do you feel like for your consideration is a remake of this movie? Essentially, hmm. it's kind of the same idea, isn't it? For your consideration. Catherine I don't know. Hara, I think I've only seen it once. She thinks she's going to win an Oscar and oh. they're like on set making a movie home for Purim. 
which is uh, a Jewish holiday. It's kind of like uh, a J- Jewish uh, Halloween, kind of. You have to wear costumes and get drunk. I don't know if I've ever seen For Your Consideration. And so they're all on set making this, like, very serious, um, like, you know, movie. This movie, this, like, this, like Oscar bait. And, like, yeah. There's word out that, like, she's being considered. And it's, like, it's her time. Like, she's, like, some veteran actress. And, of course, it doesn't happen. Right. Obviously. So, I mean, like, but it's very similar, I think, in that tone in that, like, they're putting on this production waiting for Guffman, but Guffman doesn't come. That's kind of, I mean, mascots is the same thing. They're waiting. Mascots, yeah. yeah, they're waiting for uh, some big sponsor or something to come see them. And they think that he's he's there, that they're going to get televised next year. Christopher their mascot competition. I can't decide if Christopher Guest is triumphantly saying, like, ha ha, I'm going to give him another Guffman. Or... <laughs> If he's just like his agent's calling him, he's like, they want another Guffman. God damn it. Why can't I get out from under this Guffman? I think that like, I think he probably just finds actors he finds are funny and is like, here's an outline riff. It works. We'll just put it, we'll make it about mascots. We'll make it about, I remember thinking probably because of the influence of this movie. Oh, I think in high school we wrote a script similar to this or started writing a script about hall monitors. Okay. And just like the different flavors of hall monitors you get. Okay. Uh, I see that. Did you guys have hall monitors? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did not. None? Who the fuck would trust children to monitor each other? No, no, no. They were adults. Adult oh. hall monitors. Did they wear like a badge or something? Yeah. They were oh, like stationed at different places around the school. Like you knew who they were and they were called hall monitors. Oh, that's interesting. No, we had teachers who would like have hall duty. Yeah. Between classes and stuff like that. But we didn't have like hall monitors. Yeah. I guess they were hall monitors. They just had different nomenclature. Yeah. That's, uh, it was that type because we, you had like the old guy who's always driving around campus in like a, in like a golf cart and just thinks he's a cop. Uh, in our town, it was a special police. It was a retired cop who wasn't allowed to carry a gun. So we had, truancy we officer. had those people on yeah. a site as well. He was not one. He just would Thought, thought that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we we had a hall monitor named Mrs. Hall. <laughs> Beautiful. True story. Love that. Hall monitor, Mrs. Hall. I don't disagree with any of your points. And as an adult, you're right. There's a lot of childish humor that would be unacceptable, probably would never get filmed by today's standards. When I think of the film, I remember like the alien abduction and him measuring the circumference of the circle and how like it never changes. Like oh. all the vignettes in the, the beginning. The weather here is always 68 degrees. Yeah. And they're like the first 15 minutes, they tell you this entire town's like history, all yes. these important points. And in the most funny, just like endearing way. And you're immediately like pulling for this town. For some reason now you care about this event that they're throwing. And like you're in, you're in with them, you're in with the show. And the show to pay off all of those little facts that you learned at the beginning of the movie is just like a tight little payoff. And I guess, yeah, I looking back at the comedy of the 90s, I agree with you. Like... I, it makes me happy that we've evolved out of that, that now people voice that they don't find that funny anymore. Look at us. Look at how great we are. <laughs> we've evolved. We've evolved, elevated people. Yeah, back patting. I pulled something in my arm because I got so old evolving, but I can't pat with that. I'll pat with this one. You know what it kind of reminds me of now that we've been discussing it is like Mike Myers, like Austin Powers, like that era of comedy, right? 
Well, I don't remember. What's like problematic about Austin Powers though? Because I don't know off the top of my head. I can't think of anything. It's, I, just, it's immature. Oh, well, there's tons of fat jokes. There's tons there are, of there are. like there's. I'm sure if you go through it, you see lots of people playing people of races that they are not and making fun of them. That could be true. <laughs> and I think I don't know off the top of my head, but that could be true. Like, he certainly did a whole movie, The Love Guru, in brownface, which was disturbingly recent. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and so he he's revisited like his comedy. He, he made a show called Pentaveret, which I think like it just doesn't it didn't land. Nobody watched it because yeah. we have we've sort of grown onto a different era of comedy and hopefully smarter comedy. So movies like this that have good bones can like be evergreen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if comedy will ever be evergreen. I don't know. That's though. also probably true. I watch a lot of comedies from like 1930s and they hold up to me. <laughs> but, sure. Um, but you do need like a, a little cultural you need to kind of know what the hell was going on at that time and place to, for it to work. Yeah. Um, all right. My one other thing I wanted to th- talk about, too, is like, although those other jokes, some of those. I have a problem with Corky. I, I have a hard time laughing at that. I don't really I don't <laughs> whether or not I might find it funny. I feel like I can't let myself sure. find it funny. And then I genuinely found the Parker Posey storyline just upsetting, honestly, <laughs> just like really deeply bummed me out. Um yeah, especially the ending with like her dad getting out of jail. And so now I had to move and stuff like, oh, <laughs> uh, just like broke my heart. Like there was no humor there at all. Yeah, she's I, not getting out of there. It's awful. But the one thing that did work for me is Bob Balaban. Uh, he's the guy who plays the composer. I love that actor in everything he's in. He's wonderful. Yeah. Um, And one time he was um, I saw him at the coffee house that I used to go. to. Oh, nice. Time. Floyd yeah. is his name in the movie. I think. He is the composer who usually does the show. He is like. The, I don't know if, the, if what I got was that he is a complete, he's the real genius. Right. He is completely disregarded by everybody, but he is an actual musical right. genius. Well, so the overture goes on for a good five minutes. You listen to the yes. whole or- overture and it's. Apparently great. it was significantly longer in the first cut of the film. It was like 25 <laughs> minutes long. Fantastic. Um, but yeah. And I, it took me a minute to realize what was going on. I just thought it was like, it's funny too. Cause it's uh, IMDB lists it as a goof. That like there's a tr- there's a tuba being played. You can hear the tuba, but there's no tuba on screen. You can hear fifty instruments that right. aren't on screen yeah, yeah. because he is somehow some kind of music wizard who is <laughs> squeezing an entire orchestra out of five people who are at points playing multiple instruments at once. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, right. He's created the most professional part of this show. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Uh, and yet he will reside in Blaine probably the rest of his days. It's like world talent. <laughs> See, and that's, I guess that's where I get to is like. That's harmless to me. That's funny. Yeah. You're not punching down. I don't know. My my sister is is a high school English teacher and used to do their shows. And I remember, especially in a time where I was watching all my theater friends, like yep. strive to do anything creative four times a year. She's doing a show. Oh, She's I see working with with actors working with kids everybody's learning everybody's growing from the experience they're just doing because like you just get to a city and you study a thing and most of my very talented friends just stop doing in one way or another yeah so like there is something about community theater existing and people that are no pun intended quirky enough to do it that I just love. It's so funny though, because like you really, you really connected to 
the community theater aspect of this. And like, these are the, the quirky people from community theater. I look at this movie. First of all, I came to it more recently, obviously. Yeah. And I don't have that background. I look at it in the scope of Christopher Guest's work, which is here are people I'm going to make fun of. Yeah, I never felt that way about it. I, I mean, that's what it is. Like, he does not like community theater. I don't know if you can say that for sure. <laughs> I think it's safe. To, I, that's my impression. I he does not like these people. I, or does he just find little things like dog shows and community theater just like find their joy? There's just a joy in it, like an innocent joy in it that you really can't get other places. <sighs> I guess so. I mean, I guess the world will never know. <laughs> I guess not. But like when you're doing a show like that, like you're just in it and it's you're doing stupid exercises and like maybe it's not good. But like, you know, I miss that. Like there is just a joy to creating something and not needing to make money or be perfect. There's like a scene in this movie that I think supports my thesis. Okay, sure. Which is when Lloyd, the composer, suddenly takes the reins mm -hmm. and he sits down with the actors and says, okay, we're going to actually learn the songs and the lines and we're going to do the work, the real work of putting on this show. And everybody's pissed off about it and they want, they go basically on strike to go drag Corky back to running the show. Well, because they think he's some sort of genius. But I think that was Christopher Guest saying, that's right. The rest of these people are morons. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. <laughs> I don't know. That was my read on it. That's what I got. But, I, or I, maybe it's that people like Floyd take the joy out of just doing something for the sake of doing it. Maybe. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. It's a, it's a job, man. You got to do the work. <laughs> Our best episodes are hard drinks sometimes or when you're just winging it. It's uh, to be learn how to wing it. I had to do a lot of work. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's not a, that, that's that's not true. That's not untrue. That's like I love the what is it the uh, it, it, if you freelance if particularly creatively when you're like hey how much for the logo I need the logo designed oh it's twenty thousand is fifteen thousand dollars or whatever ten thousand pick your number a thousand dollars for the logo okay I'll pay a thousand dollars and then the artist sits down and does it in twenty minutes. And then they say, I'm not paying you $1,000 for 20 minutes of work. It's like, you're not paying for 20 minutes of work. You're paying for 30 years of experience. Sure, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I And also, like, it's hard to, you know, you come at this movie from just a, a place of love. Yeah, I sure. specifically come at this movie from a very critical place. I sat down to watch it as a film critic. Sure, no, absolutely. <laughs> totally and different. I actually think that your critiques are very valid. Yeah. It's It's like... And I would never take anything away from what you love, from your love of this film. Well, and I think that's, you know, film film loving and film watching is always going to be subjective. And you are going to, like, grow and learn as a human. And things that you thought were funny as a kid, you might not find funny anymore. And sometimes you'll revisit a film and be like, this is trash. I'll never watch it again. And sometimes it just brings up all of those things from when you were younger and you know, for me, it's people. It's people I was hanging out with, people I quoted the movie with and all of that. Um, that's OK. Like, I don't know. I think some people get butthurt by critics because somehow they think it means they can't like what they like anymore. I just don't I don't have that problem, I guess. I don't feel I don't have guilty pleasures. I just have pleasures. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I don't have any guilt about things I like. That's what I'm saying. But so like your I critiques... love 16 Candles. That movie is problematic as hell. Right. I love that movie. It is a, it's a bad movie for humans. <laughs> it's, it's not it an is. okay movie. <laughs> but I don't know. I can't shake it loose. I Do I feel guilty about that? Not really. No. Like yeah. I have no guilt about that. Yeah. I never derived any pleasure from watching bad movies. 
I do. I have in the past. I've been known to do that to got, ha- to do a good hate watch. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, mm-hmm. ooh. Well, hate watching is a little different. Okay. I'll hate watch a lot of shit, but like people sit down and watch Troll Two. They don't hate watch it. They just oh, you're like the Room Troll Two. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I never got that. Yeah, um, I didn't get much pleasure out of the Room. Yeah, I know people. It's like the finest. The thing is yeah. the greatest thing ever. There's kitschy stuff like. I'm trying to think of a really good example of a bad movie. See, I wouldn't even call it a bad movie. I would say like on my list of favorite movies is Sister Act 2. Is it a cinematic masterpiece? No. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. But um, like, I don't know if that's what you mean by watching bad movies. No, I'm talking about Troll 2. Okay. Like, you're I used like, to get invited. Like, to like Cats. By watching Cats. Yeah. I used to get right. invited to like, hey, Greg, we're going to have a bad movie night. We're going to watch Troll 2 and, uh, and The Room, for example. And I would always be like, I don't want to go. That makes sense. I do not want to be in that room full of you people laughing at that terrible, that, that bad movie. It's a wasted night for me. I don't even like you. (laughs) Those examples I agree with you on. I'm not sure that that remains consistent throughout my film liking library or watching library. But then I started thinking that like, but if this movie had been directed by John Waters, it would have had more sympathy for its characters. I think, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that he, other than for racists, but even them, he portrays as just being kind of misguided. And like, and a lot of times they come around by the end of the movie. I'm thinking about like in, um, well, no, that's not true. Actually, that's not true. Uh, in cry baby. And I forget her name, but the, the matron, she is not a racist. And when she finds out that her friends are racists, that's when she's like, I'm out of here. You guys are fucking assholes. I just don't like poor people. And I'm changing my mind about that. And you guys are racists. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> We but, should definitely put a John Waters film on the list. We should I've put them all watched, on the list. Yeah, I yeah. love John Waters. Um, but people I, have people find him problematic. Oh, too, very, though. very yeah. much so. Very much so. He's, a, I think, a bioessentialist about the trans thing, and so ah. a lot of trans people hate him for for his positions on trans stuff. And if I'm mistaken, that that's by the way, I do want to say like that's what I think is going on there. I could be mistaken. I just I was a kind of a I, I paid attention to a little bit of a controversy that happened around contrapoints when okay. she had Buck Angel do an impression of John Waters in an episode and everybody freaked out about the fact that both Buck Angel and a reference to John Waters, ah, and like some heads exploded. And I think that's what it was about, but I could be mistaken about the exact contours of what that controversy was. Okay. Anyway, but I do think that like he would have done a very sympathetic version of the Parker Posey character, or, or I think he would have handled the Parker Posey character if that character existed at all with greater sympathy, not make her sympathetic because she is sympathetic, but handled the character with sympathy from the director's hand. I I think you're right. I think it's impossible to talk to this, uh, talk about this movie now without addressing these things. I don't know. The Christopher, this movie felt mean to me, whereas I'm just imagining if John Waters had made it, not that he makes these kind of documentaries, but it it feels like a thing he could have made. Uh, I don't think it would have been mean. I appreciate you for feeling that way. Like I do. Like uh, I guess I felt in on the joke. Yeah. No. I yeah. Get, yeah. But then, then you were being mean. But it was about <laughs> me, <laughs> not me specifically. I am not a gay man, nor do I speak for all gay people. But yeah. So you, yeah. It's, yeah. I get maybe you think that the joke is like it's the the community theater people. I think that the joke is this gay stereotype and the poor dumb bumpkins out in Missouri, Blaine, Blaine, Missouri, and their, their backward ways. That's what felt like he was making but fun like, of to me. But like the show is such a triumph. Like everything is such yeah. a, like the whole town like gets on their feet and is thrilled for them. I think the, I think the good. biggest mistake, 
Like they don't. But go it to is Broadway. for them. But it is for them. That's the thing. Is like the mistake is that they feel to be good, they need to go to Broadway. They have their audience. They did the show for the right people. Like okay, it it. I don't know. I I didn't get. I that. wish that more of the world was like that. Sure, I movies would certainly be better if we weren't all striving for like you know. Yeah, but the, it's hard for me to separate the fact that Christopher Guest is a big Hollywood success. Sure, I think you're absolutely right. And like at the end of the movie, like they don't have any success beyond Blaine, and he's kind of passing. Jo- like by putting that into the script, he's saying like that's right, you're not good enough. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know. If I were watching this as a person like living in the city trying to get my Broadway career off the ground, like you're watching a character that, yeah, maybe you're thinking is small town and nothing, but he's done a show and then opens up a store at the end of it. Like guy lives his life. He does shit. Uh, Seems happy. Fair enough. He doesn't seem unhappy. Fair enough. I don't know. I can't maybe put my finger on it. It felt, I'm trying to put my finger on it. Maybe I'm not articulating it right. The movie felt mean. That's all I'm going to say about my, my, it feels mean, feels mean. The only other thing I wanted to point out was that Wallace Shawn was apparently begging Christopher Guest to be in this movie. Um, and Christopher Guest couldn't find a role for him. And that's why he has the My Dinner with Andre action figures at the end of the movie. Uh, and, and Wallace Shawn has them and he, he keeps this, the set and the action figures uh, apparently prominently displayed for the rest of his life in his house. <laughs> that's a wonderful bit of trivia. Yeah. I think we'll leave it on that. That's it for Midnight Local this week. We will be back with another one. Give a listen to us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Wherever, wherever you get your podcast. Oh, you went high too. Yeah, I I have a I have a tendency to go high. I, I'm not the base <laughs> I wish I was. Uh, anyway, we want to give a big shout out and a thanks to our producer Annie Villalobos, uh, Studio Seventy One for distributing this thing. Uh, Heather Vaughn, the artist who does our beautiful, incredible artwork. Awesome, thank you, Heather. And whoever does the music, <laughs> we're recording before we've met our music person. So these the the, the credits will grow. I think it's start. We're starting small, and hopefully, we get more people involved as Just we go. It's gonna turn into a great big traveling circus. <laughs> Let's hope. All right, see you guys next time on Midnight Local. <laughs>